Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast, your go-to source for personal, professional, and organizational growth and development. We hope you tune in often for all things people management, organizational development and change, organizational leadership, and social impact related. Maximize your personal and organizational potential with Human Capital Innovations Podcast. Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. In this HCI podcast episode, I talk with Kurt Nelson, PhD, about behavioral sciences and how interdisciplinary frameworks and expertise can be used to motivate workers and successfully lead organizations. Kurt Nelson, welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. I am very excited to be here. Thank you, John. Wonderful. It's great to have you joining us, and I'm excited to tap into your expertise as it relates to uh, motivation and and helping organizations uh, be successful and helping leaders tap into the, the potential of their employees. Kurt Nelson, PhD, is founder and senior behavioral scientist. Uh, He is a sought after consultant, speaker, and recognized leader in the human motivation and behavior change space. For over 20 years, Kurt has worked with global companies to apply behavioral science principles to drive change in their organizations. He is founder and president of the Lantern Group, a behavioral change and communication agency. He is also co-founder with Tim Houlihan of Behavioral Grooves Podcast, where they interview leading academic and business executives from around the world and explore how they apply behavioral science to their work and their lives. All his work focuses on understanding ways to positively influence how people behave. Kurt has his MBA from the University of Iowa and his PhD in industrial and organizational psychology from Capella University. Um, So again, welcome and thank you so much for joining us. (laughs) Oh, I am excited to be here. Very excited. Before we launch into our topics for today, um, is there anything else you would like to add in terms of your background or general overview for the listeners? No, I just, I consider myself a behavioral scientist, basically trying to understand why people do what they do. And I think the, the more that we can understand that, the better we are at being able to, to, to work with other people and, and to have a very positive working as well as personal relationships with them. Excellent. And, uh, my background, of course, is dual in terms of, you know, I consider myself a scholar practitioner. I'm a professor on the one hand. I, I'm a consultant on the other hand. And uh, my PhD is actually in sociology, even though I teach in a business school and, and in the organizational leadership department. So I love that you specifically um, talk about behavioral science explicitly, you know, yeah. and, and how you approach attacking organizational challenges. And IO psych is such an interesting area uh, and so incredibly important and relevant for organizations. Uh, And I teach a lot of uh, organizational development at the university. And one of the things I repeatedly tell the students is that uh, organizational development, 
and all of these kind of interrelated fields, they're all inherently interdisciplinary and tying in all the different behavioral science um, disciplines uh, to better understand processes, people, and all the interactions that occur. So anyways, I love that you frame yourself as a behavioral science expert and someone uh, who can help organizations think through things that way, not just you know a business consultant, a leadership consultant. Yeah. Well, you, you bring up a really interesting part, right? And I think in business, one of the things that we often miss is this idea of tapping into some of the, the sciences of understanding humans and human motivation and human behavior. And the thing I like about behavioral science, as you said, it's this cross-disciplinary component. It isn't just sociology. It isn't just psychology. It is this intermix between all of these facets where economics to neuroscience to anthropology to all of those facets that bring it together and that's where you can see some of the power behind this because you're getting all these different perspectives and businesses that are able to take that insight and take insights from all of those i think tend to operate better because they just have that better understanding of you know as we often say our, our most valuable asset is our people and and the better you can understand that valuable asset uh, the better that you're going to be able to perform. Yeah, yeah. And I think having the multiple perspectives, the, the different frameworks can be really beneficial because there's no, at least I've never come across a theory of everything that actually explains everything, right? And so you get little pieces of explanation through different models and through different um, theories, and each kind of has their, their strengths and their weaknesses. And, and so I, I just see it as like extending your toolkit. Um, yeah. so, so you have more ways of understanding the world generally, but organizations more specifically. Um, and so I, I love, I love that. And I'm also a big proponent just of, of multidisciplinarity, interdisciplinarity generally. I think that's important for, for leaders to be able to think in different ways. And I, I also consider systems thinking to be vital for you know successful organizations and I, I just don't think you can be a true systems thinker unless you're able to consider these various types of you know vastly different in some cases disciplines like you mentioned i mean neuroscience isn't yeah. really important um now psychology sociology there's a lot of overlap anthropology you know you, you you get some of these different ones that they're distinct but they also have a lot of overlap but then you have like neuroscience it's, it's vital and unless we're, we're looking in data science and, and these various areas, we just have to consider in conjunction with each other. Yeah, I mean, you, you look at how complex we are as humans. The, the, the complexity of how our brain works and why we do what we do. And by saying that, oh no, psychology has the be all end all solution to, to what that is, I think it's just a little bit foolhardy given the fact that you have all these disciplines that are exploring it from a different lens. They're looking at things from a different perspective. And so if you can meld those together, take the best pieces of them, and then that gives you a different insight. So you mentioned anthropology, um, and then I also bring in economics, right? You, you think about economics, and we do a lot of things because of the economic drives and incentives that we are, are, are driven by, 
But if you just looked at economics, we would be these rational actors, if the standard economic model, if you, you went to that, not behavioral economics. But we'd be these rational actors who, uh, you know, don't behave any way like we see going on in the world. And yet, that's the way that they look at it. Yet, that informs us, right? It, it, it gives us some aspect of, of truth that's out there. And then you meld that with psychology and you meld it with sociology. And all of a sudden you get a much richer, more holistic perspective of, of why people are doing what they're doing. So, so how do you make the pitch to organizational leaders to think about things you know, from a behavioral science perspective? <laughs> I, I talk about this idea of uh, you know, if you could understand your employees or understand your customers or your clients better, would that help you in being able to be a better leader? And for the most part, people say, yes, of course that would. If I could understand why John down in accounting does, does this that always makes me mad, or how can I, how can I copy you know, Florence who's out on the sales you know, shop and, and is doing all of those things, what about her that makes her so successful? Well, if we can understand some of those assets, um, some of the facets that make them behave and do and think the way they do, then you can hopefully try to start replicating those positive things and, and taking some of those negative things and putting systems and putting processes in place in order to reduce those, reduce that friction. So uh, that's, the, that's the tale that I try to tell. Uh, and most, most organizational leaders get that. Um, and then it just comes down to is behavioral science the best way of doing that? And in my opinion, I think it is. So, yeah, yeah, it's interesting. Um, you know, some people really, in my experience, resonate around the idea of, of a behavioral science framing. Uh, other people are resistant to it. Uh, I, I suppose it just depends ultimately on the, the individuals that you're working with. Um, and I think it's always important, you know, whenever we're working with business leaders to help make the business case for them so they understand why what we're trying to do will matter in terms that they that resonate right with them and, and that they understand. And so whether we use the business uh, or the, uh, the behavioral science terminology specifically, or we just use those concepts um, kind of a little bit more deviously, right? Without telling them about it. Um, ultimately, it, it, it can drive the same types of outcomes. Uh, but I'm with you. I, I think whenever possible, just be, to just be completely transparent about, hey, th this is the value that will that you can have through this kind of an approach. Um, and, and it's important to add that, you know, business is one of those behavioral science um, areas that will inform what we're doing. It's just not the only framing. Yeah. And I, I think uh, you bring up a very good point. So senior leadership, I can talk about, you know, people and why, science around understanding people is good. At the end of the day, if it doesn't increase performance, if it doesn't lend itself to the issues that senior leadership are dealing with, they could care less if they understand why somebody does something. That, that doesn't, it usually doesn't enter into their thinking process. That being said, if you can show them how 
the making making a better judgment case of why people are doing what they're doing. I keep going back to that statement uh, and how that impacts the bottom line, how that impacts their customer satisfaction, how it increases employee engagement, all those factors that they're looking at, then that case gets sold by itself. So that's, you bring up a really good point. You have to put it into their language. And I talk about communication a lot and, and the way that we communicate with our employees or with our customers is important. It's also important for us to be able to, as, as practitioners of this, right? To be able to communicate effectively with the senior leaders that we're trying to convince in order to say, this is a, a, a valuable piece, a valuable tool that you can add to your tool collection. Yeah, yeah, I think that's, that's great. Um, so let's talk a little bit more about motivation, motivating employees. And I guess that's a little bit of a trap because I'm a believer that you can't really motivate anybody to do anything that they don't want to do, but you can help, you can set the stage and you can help create the environment in which people will find meaning and purpose and, and then um, motivate themselves. Right. Yeah. And you know, organizations. So I do a lot of work with companies around their incentive programs, their sales incentives in particular, but total rewards programs, recognition, all those facets. And I think one of the things that companies do is they focus in on extrinsic motivators uh, to the detriment sometimes of, of many of the intrinsic pieces that you were just talking about. And so I, I would disagree. I think you can actually get people to do things because you're paying them to do them, but will that be sustainable? Is it the best way of getting them yeah. Are they fully engaged in there? Probably and, not. Yeah. And, and to that point, I, I agree too. I think in the short term, you can, you can pull a lot of carrot and stick levers to get people to comply with what you want them to do. Exactly. The, the problem is that you, don't, you won't attract and retain the best people in the long term if that's your approach. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so it, so it, if, you, it, if you only focus, I mean, and I, by, no, by no means am I, do I want to suggest that we shouldn't pay people fairly, that we shouldn't have a safe work environment. You know, all those things are also super important but they're kind of baseline, right? You need to, you need to do those things to treat people fairly uh, and then take them off the table. But it's, it's those other things that tend to be the more sustainable types of long-term motivators. Well, and I think organizations, again, I, I talked about economics before and the standard rational economic model. And I think too many organizations are looking at motivating people through that lens, looking at if I just pay people more, they will go above and beyond and do the things that that we need them to do and i to a certain degree there's some there's some validity in that you can you can see it you can put out a, a 90 day incentive offer people you know $1000 to go do it and you will see an uptick in that in that level of performance to your point you take that $1000 away next time does that does that behavior stick probably not right the, the fact of the matter is, is you need to be able to understand what are the root motivations for people? Why are they doing what they're doing? And I also always talk about incentives uh, in particular as their signals for, for people. We interpret, what, you know, if, if the company is putting enough focus on this to pay me to do this specific thing, it must be really important for the company. And so it's, it's a communication tool as much as it is a motivational tool. And then you look in and you look at the research that shows what are some of the things that actually motivate and, and praise and thank yous and recognition 
uh, you know, feed our self-confidence, feed our, our autonomy, a uh, variety of other internal things. And so those are really important to do. And then if you're actually looking at extrinsic motivators, right, uh, cash is, is wonderful, but sometimes uh, it's, it's better to use things that are non-cash, whether it be a trip or merchandise or other factors that go into this, because they're, the way that we, we process cash and, and money in our brains is very different than how we process other things. There's this hedonic treadmill and motivation and the way that we group money. You know, Richard Thaler talks about we have the, we, whenever we get money, we put it into certain money buckets. We have the money for our food. We have the health insurance. We have our retirement account. And so you get a, an incentive of a couple thousand dollars and all of a sudden it gets parceled into these mental accounting uh, categories that we have and we feel guilty about spending them on actual hedonic type luxury things which are the things that actually motivate us because we like to go on trips and we like to spend time with our family and you know have a barbecue out in the back or play golf or whatever it is that we're, we're doing that these uh, merchandise or trip things that can do and so if you offer those and again you have to be smart about this it's not just putting things out um, you can you can waylay some of that guilt that comes with it. And at a subconscious level, it actually drives us more powerfully. And there's been really some good research that shows, hey, offer an equivalent cash versus uh, this other tangible type thing. And people will always prefer the cash. They'll say, give me the cash. There's a say-do gap there. But then when you actually look at the performance at the end of the day, the, the, the non-cash stuff does better. And actually, when you put recognition and some of those intrinsic motivators in there, you, you really make it. And so you need to have a holistic approach from my perspective. Yeah, that's a great point. And that certainly holds true for me. I think about cash bonuses that I've received in the past and they, they just end up in my bank account. And, I, yeah. and uh, you know, I'm a frugal guy, so yeah. I, I don't always like spending money on myself. Uh, and I like the guilt that you described is real for me. Um, you know, I, I have a family, I have six children, you know, so I'm like, I'm going to go spend a couple hundred bucks on myself. That's a couple hundred bucks that could go into their college savings. account. <laughs> it's, it's true for everybody as much as, you know, I mean, I'm, sh I'm sure there's probably some people out there that are so narcissistic that they don't care, but you know, for the vast majority of us, we, we are going to feel that guilt of saying, ah, should I, you know, I really should fix the, the deck in the back. And do I really want to you know, go out and buy a new set of golf clubs or whatever it is. No, but when they're just, it's like, Hey, this is what I want. I can't, you know, I, I can't just turn them in. Then, then that actually drives some motivation. So those are some of the interesting pieces that when we talk with companies around developing out their, their total rewards there. And I always try to approach this from a total rewards because you use different tools as we talked about tools of behavioral science, right? You have different tools in your tool belt about how do you motivate people? And you don't just use one tool. You don't hit everything with that hammer of cash. You need to bring in others and cash is important. I mean, people have to pay their mortgage. They have to, you know, put savings aside and there's important pieces of that. And, and so you want to make sure that you're paying them well, base salaries there, all of those factors. But then if you're trying to get them to go above and beyond, and again, signaling to them what's important, uh, and then getting them maybe some you know, additional motivational aspects beyond that, those are some of the things that you can look at. Yeah, and the signaling of, of pay uh, is a really great point that you make. And I think given the current uh, pandemic uh, context that we're in, one of the things that, that strikes me is, is how some um, some 
uh, retailers uh, like grocery stores, they, they are actually paying their employees more, yeah. um, you know, because, you know, it's a heightened time of anxiety and just the work of restocking shelves and, and all of that, all of that work, you know, to, to show up in the midst of this, this health, this public health crisis, you know, the, uh, organizations uh, have decided, yeah, we, we want to signal to our employees that we value them enough that we're going to pay them a couple of extra bucks an hour. Now, at the end of the day, does that a couple extra bucks, um, you know, it might make a big difference for some people, but it's, it's more symbolic yeah. you know, than, than, well, it, it the pay matters. Don't get me wrong, but, but I think it's, it's mostly symbolic. It communicates to their employees that they're, they're appreciated, they're valued, that you, that the employer recognizes these are unique times and you deserve something, some sort of acknowledgement for what you're doing. Yeah, I think you 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 hit the nail right there because when we think about the additional two or three dollars that they get for hazard pay during this time, I mean, for for some people, again, minimum wage employees, that's a significant amount, and it can make a big difference. Uh, but for others, I think the the real value is it shows that the organization understands that these people are going and working in extraordinary times and that they care about them. And care is a big piece, right? The, the way that you, you talk about motivation, one of, the, one of the theories that I often bring in is this idea of, it's called the four drive model. It's, it's developed by a couple guys from Harvard, uh, Noria, and then Paul Lawrence. Paul Lawrence has passed away, but Noria, I think is still, still the dean of the business college there. Um, but they developed this back in early 2000s. Talks about you know the drive to acquire and achieve, which is the money and the and the tangible stuff. But it's bonding and belonging is the second drive, which is this idea of we're we're communal people, we're social animals, and so we're driven to have positive social relationships, which is really a, a powerful thing. There's this drive to challenge and learn, right? We we are you know the, you put a challenge out there. We're humans. We go after those challenges. We 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 we're motivated to go do that and various different things. But the last one is this this drive to uh, defend and and define define our purpose in various different pieces. And as an organization, one of the best ways that you can tap into that is to show that hey, we care about you. You are part of our our tribe, and and as a tribe, um, we care about you. And because again, when you think about uh, the evolutionary, we defend the tribe from outward threats. And so in this time of pandemic, um, I've seen lots of organizations where that's happened because we, we, we round the, you know, we round the wagons and we, we, we protect ourselves um, from those outward threats and the, the COVID-19 pandemic, whatever, uh, is one of those threats. And so how do you, how do you tap into that? And, and one of those ways is to definitely show that you care. So. Yeah, and, and the the socialization piece um, is so vital. Now, when we're physically together in the workspace, in the workplace, there's a lot of things you can do in in you know developing and maintaining a positive company culture and social norms that's that reinforce that. It's it's interesting right now because so many people are just working remotely and. I'm wondering what, what thoughts do you have about how organizational leaders can help, you know, maintain a healthy organizational culture, positive social norms within this new remote work environment? Yeah. I, and I will, uh, I, I will 
we interviewed Liz Foslane, who did uh, wrote a book on emotions at work and uh, as part of this after this COVID thing. And I'm going to steal something from her because she talked about emotionally proofreading your emails. Um, and one of the things that she talked about is that we have these bump ins uh, when we're in person, right? That, you know, you get to a meeting and, and the meeting hasn't started yet and you run into somebody that you haven't seen. And it is in those bump in moments, those moments in the hallway, at lunch, various different things that we often do. Hey, you know, I want to thank you for last week. You, you know, the, that email that you sent was just perfect or you know, the, you got that project done. Those are the times we often recognize and we, we give those accolades. We do the pat on the back kind of things. And in this video chat, Zoom world that we're in, email things, we don't tend to take time to do that. We don't have those just bump in moments. And so from a leadership perspective, make sure that you are emotionally reading your emails and even in your Zoom meetings or whatever, however you get together with, with different people, is emotionally think about proofreading this, to, to, to do those bump in moments and, and make those recognition uh, elements salient to the people. Um, and be really focused in on making sure you're touching on their emotions. The, the idea that, um, we go from Zoom meeting to Zoom meeting to Zoom meeting to Zoom meeting, which is I've, I've heard lots of people doing, or even if you're in the, in the case where you might be running a grocery store and, and people are still out there interacting with people, but there's a bunch of emotions that are going on. And if we discount those emotions, if we discount the fact that, hey, people are scared, they have a life, they, maybe their spouse or partner has lost his or her job, maybe they know somebody who is sick, or maybe their kids are now you know, at home and... Uh, it's hard to work in various different pieces. So if you don't address that, if you don't acknowledge that, you're doing a big disservice for your employees, and they're gonna they're gonna realize that. And you, you talked about this idea of signaling that the extra hazard pay is a positive signal um, that will go a long way. There's also people will remember the things that you didn't do um, that for a long time too. And so once this uh, crisis is over. Uh, your retention and loyalty from those people is going to be decreased if you're if you're not acknowledging some of those assets. That's a great point. And while we've seen some really great examples of organizations stepping up, we've also seen bad examples where they haven't. And I've raised this issue with uh, a few different organizations just recently, um, and, and understandably so, they're worried about their budgets. Yeah. Um, and I get it. You know, you're, they're trying to to keep the doors open. Um, so that's important, but you also have to balance the current immediate dilemma, you know, with, with long-term ramifications. And that's, that's a hard thing to do. Those are hard decisions to make, no doubt about it. It is really hard. We, I've worked with, worked with a bunch of companies, uh, around obviously their incentives and, um, dealing with one pharmaceutical company who is really concerned about, we got to get out and sell this. And yet there's this idea of are we being tone deaf not only to our employees like pushing them to get out and to to just sell when this crisis is going on but also to the physicians that we're they're going out and trying to sell to so do you actively sell in this market at what point does that seem to cross whatever line there is in the sand of saying yes we're a business we need to bring money in in order to, to keep the lights on and do that versus yeah, this is, you are just 
crossing a line that you should not be crossing at this point because you're being emotionally tone deaf to what's going on out there in the world. And it's a, it's a, it's a line that keeps shifting too, I think. And that's the hard part for organizations because, Hey, three weeks ago, that might've been a hard line in the sand. Now it's, now it's not. Now maybe you can go out there and do things because things are opening up a little bit more and various different things. So it's a number of facets to that, but I agree with you that there's a, it's it's hard, right, for organizations to to come to grips with what they need to be doing and how that shows up. Yeah. Well, Kurt, it has been wonderful talking with you. We're already to the end of our time, um, but before we close, I want to give you the chance, if, if you could just take a minute and let the listeners know how they can get in touch with you and learn more about what you're doing. Uh, great. Yeah. So uh, you can reach me by email. It's Kurt at lanterngroup.com. The website is lanterngroup.com. Uh, that's the company. That's the the behavioral change and uh, communication agency that, that we operate. Uh, but then if you just want to get more into, into behavioral science and the application of that to work in life uh, and, and more focused on work, temp- typically is behavioral grooves is the the podcast that that i do with my co-host tim houlihan and we interview people from around the globe uh and talk uh, about how they can take insights from behavioral science and how do you apply that how do you how do you positively apply that in to make behavior change and to drive performance and to make a positive impact on society and the world so wonderful well i encourage my listeners to um, reach out to Kurt and learn more about him. And Kurt, it's been a pleasure talking with you. Uh, we haven't had enough time. Uh, so, so hopefully we can do this again and, and have you back on in the future. Well, I appreciate it, John. This has been fun. Um, you know, I geek out about this stuff, so I would be happy to talk with, with anybody at any point. Uh, you know, this is the, the highlight of my day when I get to talk about this stuff. So, so thank you for, for allowing me that opportunity. Wonderful. Well, uh, thanks again, and I hope you have a wonderful week. Thanks again for joining us for this episode of the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. I hope you stay healthy and safe and that you have a great week.